Hello, and welcome to this special weekend edition of the Silmarillion Film Project. You thought that the, we weren't going to do this episode, but here we are, giving up our precious free weekend time. Actually, let me rephrase. This is the special um, uh, UK weekend evening edition for all of our dedicated UK fans. That's why we're doing it. We have David Akan. It's David Akan today. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. A special, special new audio version of me. So, I'm your co-host Dave Kale. With me, as always, are the Tolkien Maven Trish Lambert and the Tolkien Professor Corey Olson. And we have a really, really fun episode today. I love how he does this. Like, the Tolkien Maven Trish Lambert and the Tolkien <laughs> Professor Corey Olson. Yeah. I don't know. Everything's going to be fun. And any, okay, right. <laughs> All right. So, welcome everybody. Very glad to be talking about episode three today. We're going to be discussing the great debate at Quivien, and that at least is. The plan and, and I'm hoping we will actually get so far as doing what we plan to do. So, But first, let us start with some uh, announcements, uh, which will be relatively relatively quick announcements. Um, uh, we've got one, one broad reminder, uh, two very specific small announcements from Signum and Mythgard stuff, uh, and then one large uh, uh, very important uh, and much more personal announcement uh, that we're going to be making. So first, the broad reminder, fall term at Signum University begins in two weeks. Um, we have had a record number of applicants, new applicants to our program this fall. Really excited to see uh, so many new people joining and studying with us. It's going to be really great. I hope that, uh, you know, if you've been listening, you've had a chance to look at our our concentration pages, look at, you know, what it, what it sort of will mean to be, uh, you know, engaging in a Tolkien studies program with us and uh, the our imaginative lit studies and Germanic philology studies and all that stuff. Um, so that, you know, that you had a chance to look over our new program and our new course schedule, which is up for the entire year uh, and all that kind of thing. So it's going to be... Um, it's going to be a really fun year at Signum. There is still time. There are two weeks now. You know, there's time to, to register if you want to audit. Uh, the uh, If you want to audit, especially... Uh, Dimitri Femi's new class uh, on, on, on folklore. You want to hear Dimitri Femi talk? She's going to be talking about sort of folklore and folklore development um, between sort of the older world and the modern world, uh, and especially looking at modern adaptations of uh, older folklore traditions. And one of the primary folklore traditions that she's sort of using as a, as a sort of a case study of this in that class is going to be va- vampire stuff. So for those of you who enjoyed the, uh, the, the Dracula class with me in the Mythgard Academy, uh, you know, in the last few months, uh, maybe very interested in that class. So uh, anyway, so there's, there's, there's time still for auditors to sign up, time still even to, to apply for the program if you still want to join us. Um, but uh, that is two weeks away. So that's the broad announcement. The uh, two small announcements. Um, I have. I, I was away uh, on vacation this past week, and my internet was a little flaky. So I ended up having to postpone a bunch of things, all of which I'm doing today. So today is Sunday, August 14th, and we're doing course film film right now. I'm doing a makeup of my uh, my Lotro stream uh, at 4 p.m. Um, and for those of you who don't know what that is, this is me. Playing Playing Lord of the Rings Online live uh, with my uh, my Hobbit Burglar Grifflet, going through their epic quest line and, and sort of talking about the story and doing various uh, lore inquiries and uh, uh, sort of just taking questions from the crowd about you know just general Tolkien questions both related to the game and not. Um, so that's uh, that's uh, been great fun. I have absolutely loved uh, doing my Grifflet stream. That's going to be at four o'clock today. Uh, 
at twitch.tv slash LotroStream, one word. Um, so uh, if and and you don't have to be a player. The Twitch.tv uh, page will enable you to see the live streaming video of uh, of me doing the game. So it's not like you have to be playing in the game in order to be able to to watch and listen to that happen. Um, and then later on this evening, I am going to be doing my makeup session of my Mythgard Academy class, the Lost Road class that we have been doing. We're now, this is session six of the Lost Road class. Um, in session five, I was meant to cover the uh, the draft of the Ainulindale, plus the draft of the Hlamas, the Account of Tongues. Uh, and I didn't get to the Hlamas at all, so we're going to do the Hlamas and uh, start the Quintus Silmarillion. Um, and again, for those of you who are who are not have not been following and are unfamiliar with this, this is basically you know what we're in the middle of talking about right now in the Lost Road class. This is the Silmarillion. This is this is what the Silmarillion was to Tolkien before he wrote the Lord of the Rings. This was the Silmarillion he was trying to get published. Um, and really, in a lot of ways, this is one of the like final real. V- Versions, you know, Tolkien was sort of trying to work up the Silmarillion for publication uh, throughout his life. We are looking at the version of the Silmarillion, which is like closer to being ready to publication than anything Tolkien really ever produced. Um, he did more work on it later on, but in some ways, it kind of got further away from publication rather than closer to it as he kept going back and changing everything. But, um, uh, but yeah, so just if you want to know, like. What was the Silmarillion to Tolkien? You know, Tolkien, of course, didn't publish the published Silmarillion. That the, that was that was uh, Christopher, and he made a bunch of editorial choices in how things should be presented and what should be included. Um, if you you know want a glimpse of what was Tolkien wanting to publish, you know, what did he actually send to the publishers uh, when he was trying to convince them to publish the Silmarillion? And remember, he was trying to do that with. The Lord of the Rings. Like, he wanted the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings to be published together. What did that mean? What was it exactly that he was trying to send off for publication? Well, that's what we're reading and discussing in the Lost Road class right right now. Um, uh, So tonight we're going to be looking at the Hlamas, which is, I think, the heart of the entire Silmarillion for Tolkien. Um, Like, if you asked him to point to, like, what it is, this is it. The Hlamas is it. The account of tongues. Uh, How the languages... Uh, 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 changed over time. The account of the change of the languages. That's the that's the Thomas. So we're going to talk about that and the beginning of the Quintus Silmarillion. So, um, so that's tonight at nine thirty p.m. Eastern time. Again, the myth uh, the Lotro stream is going to be at four p.m. Eastern time uh, on Twitch.tv/slash Lotro stream. So those are all. So my now wait, wait, wait. Before the big announcement. Before the, before big, the big announcement, yeah. I have something that I forgot to mention that I okay. wanted to mention now. Those of you who have listened to Riddles in the Dark will appreciate this, and I just wanted to let. Corey, no, I didn't know if you knew this, but Glenn Yarbrough passed away. Glenn Yarbrough no. passed away? Oh. Yeah. That's kind of sad because it makes me it feel more guilty about saying really bad things about, about bad him. About Yeah. <laughs> um... I mean, it just makes me feel a little bit more like a heel <laughs> complaining about him continuously. Um, but I guess... Well, like, I mean, and I, you're not really complaining about him. You're complaining about that particular his song. song. Right? I have nothing against him. He's probably a fine right. fellow. And, and, right. and uh, you know, right. I doubt doubt not would have been a lovely person to have a pint with. But uh, I, I still... And, I'm tr- and I try not to hold no the horrid the theme song, song of the Rankin-Bass Hobbit against him personally. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. And he didn't write the song. And I know a lot of the problem you've got with it is the lyrics, because I remember when one of your rants was about, what does it mean anyway? It's, yeah, the words no, don't make any sense. It's so, really you know. awful. Yeah. Like when they when they were adapting 
Tolkien songs and putting music to them. They did a really great job in the Rankin Bass Hobbit. <laughs> um, when they were making up their own junk, it was awful, absolutely awful. Now, I, I wouldn't have loved Glenn Yarbrough's style, singing style, even anyway. if the lyrics had been awesome. But right. no, it's right. truly it is the lyrics that I that I that I. So perhaps perhaps I should feel doubly bad for complaining about Glenn Yarbrough <laughs> as like not only is he now dead but it wasn't even his fault really anyhow so but you know his name's anyway. not attached to it so what can I say that's true that's true okay so now we can go on to the big announcement okay Sorry big about that. announcement right so Dave has a big announcement yes I do so uh, I'm uh, you know, five months from now I will be a father my wife is four months pregnant so. Woohoo! Yeah. Awesome. A new so kale coming into the world this is very Baby exciting. kale. That's what Teresa called it. Baby, we're, having a, we're adding a baby kale to the family salad. That's what she said. A baby kale. Yes, okay. that, was my, that was my wife's my wife's post on Facebook. She, uh, <laughs> she dug up an, an image of some, uh, um, you know, some kale salad product and, uh, and then photoshopped our, our sonogram onto that. So. <laughs> that was really cute. It was really yeah. cute. So, so listen, uh, I thought of a name. So you said that okay. you told us that you wanted to come up with some names that you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me give you, you context. So, my my wife yeah. my wife has a list of of names she's already made. Of course, and it's she's, a boy. She's already, right? it's, it's a boy. Yeah, it's a boy. She's already made a list of names, but she won't tell me her list until I make a uh, I I make my own list independent of her, so then we can see how much overlap there will be, which I suspect there will be zero. So, uh, but but her her but she has already said don't don't you dare put any like Lord of the Rings names or anything. Her talking radar will be on. You don't yeah. think so, that you you don't think that she's going to try to sneak Fingolfin on her own list? You know that's uh, seems Rod. unlikely. Yeah. Seems unlikely. But so so my plan is to try and try and uh, you know find some find some uh, more obscure and sort of less obvious names from like the Silmarillion and slip them in there. Yes. And uh, she thinks she'll she says I I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> she she knows I'm going to try to do this. So she said uh, you know well, I'm gonna I'll find them. And I was like you know what? <laughs> hey, She's probably going to Google every name you put on your list. This is going to do is a win. Google search. As far as I'm concerned, this is win-win. Either either she doesn't do that and they get past her, or she has to read the Silmarillion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what I remind her. She's like, I'll, I'll, I'll look in the Silmarillion. I'll find those names. I was like, yeah, that means reading the book, Teresa, which you're too poor refused to do. So. Yeah, yeah. She's like, well, I agree. Don't. That's win-win. So, anyway, so yeah, so we have like a, a kind of a team project here well, to come up with suggestions. Yeah, so the team project. So yeah. this is this is of, of course my incredibly tongue-in-cheek idea. Okay, totally yeah, tongue-in-cheek. All right. So for those of you that don't know this, when when Teresa and Dave got married, I attended the wedding, and I on behalf of basically the entire, you know, Tolkien professor group. I was the one that could make it out there, so I was representing everybody, and I did a reading um, at Dave's request, and it was from uh, it was this based on the story of, of Baron and Luthien. And, you know, they kind of talked to each other, you know, like he, he sort of called her his Luthien. So I was thinking, Baron and Luthien, Baron and Luthien. Um, so, oh, oh, this doesn't work. It was the other way around. I was thinking Fingal and Melian. Oh, darn. I was thinking, you know, if they had a kid, I was thinking Fingal and Melian. Oh, this doesn't work at all. Because it's like it was Fingal and Melian, and they had a na- girl named Luthien, but it's a girl. So you'd have to name the boy a name you know, that would be like Luthien. And I thought, okay, Lutheran, that works. 
<laughs> so that's my that's my tongue in cheek. But darn, it doesn't work because it was Baron and Luthien, and they 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 had their well, gosh, I just Dior. spaced. Yeah, Dior. Dior. That's right. Yeah. Dior. <laughs> I don't think that would get by. <laughs> well, I gotta you know I gotta slip a couple I gotta slip a couple things in there that she can that she can identify, but aren't completely obvious that ah, she'll okay. think was. That will be like the red herrings that she'll be like, ah, see, you're trying to get one past me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that was the one I was trying to get past. Exactly. Me. Right, right, right. Really, right, right. The, the best approach I find for this is 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 the door in the face technique, right? You know, to 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 submit a bunch of ones that are completely ridiculous that she'll say no right. to, so that when you propose the ones you really want, they seem totally reasonable. They seem fine. Yeah. Absolutely. But I could totally context. see you using Dior as a middle name, and I think it would be totally appropriate. But then again, that's you know. I'm biased. So. I will admit, I think that boy names especially, Tolkien boy names are really hard uh, to yeah. find, like, ones that don't seem weird. Uh, Sam. In a modern Go with Sam. Sam. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, like, some of the really <laughs> simplest names, like Sam, you can do. Um, I mean, it was it was really hard. I will say, Dave, the closest I ever came, I actually had the green light on a Tolkien name from one of my children, but only a girl's name. Um, oh. I, my wife agreed. If my second son, Matthias, had been a girl, he would have been Eleanor. And she was going to let me spell oh. it with an A. Uh, so oh, that it could be, it could be wow. like Sam and Rosie's daughter. Um, so I almost had a, 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 a Tolkien name for my child. But uh, but I, I, I could not find any boys' names. Boy names. That... that mm you know, that my wife would agree to that, that I, I found, I found that very challenging. Um, so, cause it's Bill, yeah. you go with Bill, Bill, <laughs> Bill the, <laughs> named after the pony who is a yes. noble figure. Don't get me wrong. Not Fernie, not named after Fernie. Not, named no, after the exactly. Pony. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, so we'll have to think. So we'll have to make this a team effort, and we'll have to think. And see yeah, so we've got a little bit of time, but not forever. So this is one. This is your first assignment from today's episode, is to be thinking about. Uh, and but you know, Dave, what what are your own thoughts about this? Like, what what, what do you think about? You know, if if you could, na- like, if there's a particular character or sort of, uh, you know, kind of category of characters, or if there's like a particular quality or something, what kind of name would you want? Uh oh. Oh, do we lose him? Did we lose him? I think we oh, did. no. This crucial I think I, yes, we did lose oh, him. Oh, bummer. Oh, no. That's terrible. That's well, he'll he's be back. muted right now. Maybe he's, he just needs to unmute himself. Oh, okay. I don't know. He's visiting, he's yeah. visiting and he's, yes, he's in a he's, funny... he's out of town today, and his He's uh, in a funky, funky himself, internet place. Yes. Oh, bummer. Yeah, because I was going to say, I also was going to ask, if, if you didn't have the band, what would you want to name? What would you want to use as a name? You know, if Teresa said, you can name him anything, in the, you know, anything you want. Right. I wonder right. what he would use. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that when we recover Dave, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll keep an eye on that to make sure we need to, need to bring him if we, if we need to bring him back in again. Um, okay. Anyway. All right. Um, so uh, let's, with that project in mind for next time, um, we can, we can come back and revisit this more next time as well. Um, Let's uh, let's segue to um, uh, to today's episode. So I wanted to start today with a couple uh, a couple quick things. Um, first, I wanted to give some feedback on um, the uh, the 
episode outline one. So the 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 uh, the episode outline team, uh, the team that has been getting together to actually uh, draft. Ep- full episode outlines for each of the episodes that we discuss sort of in, in our in our overview sessions here has already met um, and they have uh, put together a, a a first draft of the uh, of the the outline for episode one um, which as of course as you remember is the awakening by Quivianin and Orme's first discovery of them and of the you know the 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 war to begin all wars going on in the background. You'll remember that, of course, we're going backwards in time, and we're going to be doing that from the elves' point of view. So, um, uh, and and I, I was so I, I just wanted to give a few general. We, we don't have time to go through it, sort of line by line, of course, um, but a few general reactions that I had to it that I wanted to to share with you guys because I, I I love the work that you guys did. I loved the stuff with the 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 battle. I, we didn't talk about that that much during the episode. I think we we sort of under discussed that issue of what the elves experience and what they hear and see and and feel with the with the battle going on in the background. I thought you guys did a great job with that with the fear of the elves and and their reaction to it. I love the idea of them of them sort of retreating onto the island and thinking that the world is coming to an end. Um, so I, I I was a I was a, a big fan of that. I was also um, a big fan of um, liking. The, I, I I really liked the idea. You had Ingwe several of the Vanyar being lost. Uh, to the Dark Rider um, and Ingwe, you know, having lost uh, his family. I really liked that as well. Um, I, the one one suggestion I had there, it, you guys were suggesting maybe Ingwe lost his parents. I don't like Ingwe having parents. I want Ingwe to be an original elf. I know that he wasn't one of the listed original elves when Tolkien redid all that later on um, in his later books. But I think for our story, um, we we want to give Ingwe the gravitas of being one of the original elves. Um, so I think we need to make him clearly one of the elders, not one of the second generation, but one of the first generation, uh, clearly. Celeborn can be second generation. You know, he, he can be young. Um, even others, like Círdan, can be young um, at Quivienen. But, um, uh, or not. I mean, we can make we can make Círdan one of the first generation as well. But I do. Think yeah, we talked about him having a five o'clock shadow. Yeah, right? exactly. Yes, just 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 starting his anomalous beard. Um, but uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I do think that we should make um, Ingwe have the 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 dignity and the the you know the the venerability of being one of the one of the one of the oldest, if not the oldest. I mean, that could be a thing. That I mean, one question, and I think it's a perfectly legitimate question, and it's a question which is not really answered very clearly. Um, it's a question I've gotten before. What gives Ingwe the right to be high king of all the elves? Like, okay, he's the king of the Vanyar, so what? What makes them better than everybody else? Why is it that all the other kings of the other groups of the elves should all recognize Ingwe as high king of all the elves? Um that's not a that's not that's not a really simple question to answer actually um and i think that i mean i'm not saying it has no answer and you can't formulate an answer to it but it's not a simple answer and um i think that if we're even gonna be able to start approaching that like the first place we need to go in trying to answer that is to give him uh seniority 
basically you know he, he he needs to be if he's like a junior people and there's a bunch of people there at Quivian and who are older than he is it makes that question 10 times harder um and so i don't i don't i don't want to go there so i'd, I'd much rather anyway didn't have parents um but by all means you know have him be i i, I really like the idea of having him be be bereft having him finding not only joy at valinor but healing uh, you know, to have him have a great... So maybe his wife gets taken. Um, why not, right? Uh, 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 we, we have no storial reason to keep his wife around. Um, so what if he loses his wife to the Dark Rider, say, and, uh, uh, and, and he finds healing for his, for his grief in, in Valinor? That'd be great. And actually, it'd be really neat to kind of establish that from the beginning, not only because it establishes the pattern that's going to be playing out long, long down the road, like when Frodo goes to, you know, toward into the West uh, in order to find healing from his wound, um, but also, of course, brings us right immediately back to the Calabrian question. Um, so and and makes that really compellingly right. relevant to it. Yeah, that's true. Um, now you guys were probably already thinking that in losing his parents, and so you know, kind of putting him even more closely to the Arwen situation. But but anyway, I, I think it could. In, in having him losing his wife would make him almost a parallel to Elrond, actually, um, and that I think could work very interestingly as well. So anyhow, that's that's that was my quick thought um, for uh, for. Ingwe. I loved the Finway and Muriel stuff that you guys were developing. There's a movement. Mithluin is pushing particularly hard to have Muriel, Finway's first wife, uh, be a character uh, from the beginning here in the debate at Quivianen, and I really like that idea. Uh, and in the outline, you guys were suggesting that Finway and Muriel could basically be engaged at the beginning and planning to marry, but then they postpone their wedding when the when the when the battle comes, when the war comes, as Tolkien does state that during times of war and unrest, elves generally don't, you know, marry and they don't have children. So, um, sort of starting that and having and and I just so I. I, I really liked that. I, I thought that there was a really rich suggestiveness of the fact that there's like, in a sense, a kind of cloud over the the marriage of Muriel and Finway from the beginning. You know, like it's it's uh, it's it's not gone according to plan from step one. I think actually is kind of interesting. Um, so uh, so anyway, yeah, I I, I really liked the uh, I really liked the 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 Finway Muriel uh, plot line. Um, and, and, and I was, I was excited to see what you guys were doing that. That seems like a good idea. The, the more character development we can give to, uh, to her and to their relationship, the more later events will make sense and not just like, I think, I think this is one way to, uh, to make, um, um, Finway not seem kind of weak. Yes. Like, you know, if we, if we establish sort of, if we establish, we establish some things early on and actually develop those characters, then, then the audience will be sort of more like, they'll be more interested and invested in, you know, him getting remarried and things like that. Exactly. And I mean, it's, it would be one, one concept, Dave, that kind of emerges from that is the idea of essentially our positioning Finway as just a, you know, one of those people for whom nothing really goes right. You know, I mean, like everything is always just kind of, getting and it's not all his own fault you know it's not it's just you know he had this great relationship with muriel but it keeps get getting thrown off kilter and then like he thinks he finds 
you know, happiness with Indus, but then it like messes things, you know, then like there's the business with his sons. And so that doesn't go right. Mm -hmm. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. You know, not that he's actually tragic decisions, but yeah, that would be, that would be an interesting juxtaposition, right? If, um, the relationship with Muriel seems ill fated and kind of forced, like, you know, despite sort of lots of things getting in the way they push through then, uh, and then the, the the relationship with Indus ends up being sort of much more like we want the audience to kind of look at that and say oh that makes sense like right. and and that relationship works great all except for this one individual item which is his jerk son exactly yeah the problem with his kids and it really doesn't fully come out and you know we we'll have like fan or sulking and st- well okay maybe not sulking that's probably the wrong word uh, because we don't want to make fan or look like a, look look like a git from day one um, but anyway we we show the the issues with fan or at the beginning but of course. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really come out until Fingolfin and Finarfin are fully grown. So, will we uh, will we be seeing Indus before while Muriel is still alive? Do you think? And will she be another gener- a different generation? Will this be a May December romance? <laughs> May December. Second... What does that even mean among elves? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, how could you even tell? Um... <laughs> I know. There are such different points in our lives. I've been alive for 5,000 years, and she's only been alive for 3,000 years. We're totally out of sync with each other. Different generations. We just don't speak the same language. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Marie, of course, points out that she's she's connected with Ingwe, and 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 that would, of course, be a very easy thing to do. You know, to have her. She could be somebody which we could even depict here. Um, I mean, it might be a little too awkward if we introduce her now, like while his relationship with Muriel is still in its early stages. Um, but I'm thinking we could maybe bring her in when we get to Valinor, basically. She could maybe come in in Tyrion. Um, I think that's a good idea. In fact, my suggestion, uh, which just came to me, um, we could integrate by having Indus. By introducing Indus's character later on, we could interconnect the plotline of Finway's remarriage with the plotline of the Vanyar moving out of Tyrion and up to Teniquitil. Um, and that could be really the time when we introduce uh, uh, Indus. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. Um, anyway, okay. Um, so, but anyway, great stuff. So, a uh, very strong start, you guys, uh, with uh, the outline to episode one. I thought that was really, I thought that was really neat. Um, uh, yeah, go, yeah, Marie exactly. Marie is saying the idea is that she doesn't meet Finway until he's either married or or even a widower. Not that she was jilted by his first marriage. Exactly, Marie, and we certainly don't want to create the idea of like you know Finway getting married or being engaged to Muriel and looking at Indus out of the corner of his eye like that I, we don't want to go there at all we want to make Finway because it's got to be really important I think to have Finway's grief for Muriel's whatever it is death-ish thing that happens to her um, is th- that has to be really genuine you know his grief has to be has to be genuine and wholehearted, um, and therefore his his getting to know his meeting and getting to know Indus really does need to wait until after he is like done grieving. Um, you know, Karita, you're right. We don't want her to be a fallback girl, but no, it should be like basically him finding happiness later. You know, after his grief and he has found healing from his grief, um, then he finds happiness. And again, this is this should be like poor Finway hoping to finally you know, have a non-star-crossed relationship, um, which all looks like it's going swimmingly until his kids start messing it up. Um, so, 
so yeah, but but so for that reason, we should probably keep Indus off screen completely until the second half of the season. Um, okay, cool. So anyway, great stuff. Really love that. Um, one uh, one uh, general note I wanted to make, and this was in connection with some comments uh, that were being made on the on the discussion forum as well. I want to I, I want to, uh, and this kind of a it's sort of a, a sidebar basically, um, because this especially comes up with the Vanyar, and it's the question of thinking about the elves and religion. This has especially come up with the Vanyar a lot, thinking about the Vanyar and their sort of uh, piety and relationship with the, with the Valar. And a lot of people have been kind of articulating this in terms of, uh, of religion, of like human religion, even of like modern religious categories of people like, you know, uh, uh, you know, extremely pious people over there and more secular people over here and that kind of thing. Um, and I, w- I just kind of want to generally caution against that, actually. Um, there are some ways in which things like that kind of work. Um, but I think that if the more we think in terms of human, like, religious categories, um, the more it's going to be, the more far we're getting from a sub-creative attempt to glimpse elfish culture, because it's a totally different situation, especially when we're talking about their relationship with the Valar. The number one difference, of course, we're not talking about like the Vanyar being people of faith. They don't have faith in the Valar. They hang out with the Valar. It's not a question of believing in the Valar, right? right? I mean, yeah. they, they spend their days with Manway and Varda. They don't have strong faith in them. They don't need faith in them. They visit them on a daily basis. So it's not a... So, so like by, by, by the definition of faith, um, it's not... A, and even thinking in terms of like faith versus reason, like apart from the fact that I have... That's one of my personal pet peeves. Um, but... But apart from that, I'm not going to allow myself to digress on that subject. Um, even the idea of like religious versus secular doesn't map. It doesn't fit. The the Noldor, for instance, are not more secular. Remember when Frodo heard uh, uh, Gildor and the other Noldor in the Shire, he recognize. He says. These must be high elves, for they spoke the name of Elbereth. It is by their piety that he recognized them as Noldor. So th- the idea that the Noldor are secular in some sense, they're not secular. They just have different interests and a different relationship. Um, the idea of like using the adjective mystical to talk about the Vanyar, that doesn't work either. There's a sense in which, by definition, they can't be mystical. Because, again, to, to be a mystic is to be in like meditative contemplation of a thing that you can't perceive with your outward senses, and they do perceive the Valar with their outward senses. So it's they're not living like a monastic, mystical existence, you know, contemplative existence. They're hanging out with the Valar. So it's just, it's fundamentally different. And so I, I just, I, I want to kind of give, I've seen these terms kind of floating around a lot when people are talking about the culture of the three different uh, elf groups. And I just want to kind of caution against it. Um because I, I, I think it can be misleading. Yeah, I've never ever thought of the Vanyar in those terms. And I think um, actually now kind of thinking about it in more detail, especially with what we just said about Ingwe, you know, about Ingwe's yes. going yes. to Valinor because of the loss. I've always thought that the Vanyar, it was, Valinor was home for them. Yes. That it was just, it was home. I mean, in their souls. If Well, I don't even know if I could use the word soul, but, you know, it it was home for them. The Noldor are restless. The Noldor are not so much, or at least especially post, you know, Fanor. 
but the Vanyar kind of it's almost kind of like they got there and said yes this is this is this is where we belong kind of yes. thing and the Noldor I don't know ever really did that yeah. and I always just thought that was the difference you know and the Vanyar to me also tended to be more I don't know if this is really true or not like I was going to say knowledge based you know knowledge hang out with Manway that kind of thing the Noldor were the same way I mean they had the different Vala that they you know went after and stuff so I don't know that that's necessarily true but I think the idea of home Yes, and we could maybe do that distinction in this. Well, is exactly. the Vanyar are like home, it, and the Noldor never do really feel like it's home. Yeah, yeah. The the difference seems to be much less profound. Well, okay, not less profound, but it really seems to have almost nothing to do with spirituality or piety, and more to do with right. what are their hobbies and where do they <laughs> like to live? <laughs> right, right, right. right. Like, exactly. Like at the end of the at the end of the day, that's like the main. That is like the, the like. Well, at least that's like sort of the most obvious difference. Right. Those are the differences that are only por- those are the only differences that are portrayed clearly in the text. That like the Teleri like to be by the ocean and they like to build boats and sail. The Noldor <laughs> like to be in right. Uh, and the are craftsmen. I could see them yeah. coming to me and saying, "Dude, we have run out of all raw materials here. We have no raw materials left in Valinor to make our stuff. We have to go back." Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, if you th- if you even on that level, all of them are makers. I mean, the yeah, Nuts yeah, are, are famous as being sub, but all of the elves are subcreative. Yeah. I mean, you they think are. about the way yeah. that the Teleri talk about their ships, right? Their ships are to them what the gems of the Noldor are to them, you know, they say before the kinslaying, right? And it's not that the Vanyar aren't makers either. They just make poetry instead of making things, you know. Right. Um, the, the, the song of words is Manway's delight, and that's what the, who they hang out with. So the, even even the idea that, like, the, the Noldor are the makers and, and the Vanyar are, are Mere, like merely receptive or in some they're not they're makers too they just make other things and make differently um right. so uh yeah and, like what uh, about so so what about um so so nick palazzo puts this comment in here uh he says the vanyar exhibit a deeper desire to commune with the divine than other cultures i i mean is there really like is there any actual evidence of that in the text i feel like i feel like i feel like there's a lot of things that we construe of the right. text because of where they live and who they happen to hang out with that I don't necessarily think are are the case. Like we don't really actually know very much about the Vanyar. I, I certainly don't think we can make statements like that. For example, like, exactly. I mean, I mean we we've made joking. We've made joking comments about them wearing white and sitting at Manway's knee. We've made right. those comments. Right. The three right. of us. Sure. But sure. They're not really based on anything. <laughs> Right, exactly, and 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 the 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 word that I would emphasize, Nick, about your comment there is divine, right? Their relationship with Iluvatar and their contemplation of Iluvatar. Now, Marie, as you were pointing out before, of course, Iluvatar is still, even to elves, an object of contemplation and not of sight, like the Valar. Um, but even with, the, but the fact that they are in communion with the Valar in the way that they are gives them a different relationship with the Luvatar, certainly than men in Middle-earth have, because mm-hmm. they are, no, they don't see a Luvatar and talk with the Luvatar like they see and talk with the Valar, but they do see and talk with the Valar who saw and talk with the Luvatar. So, again, it's, right. just, it's different. It's not the same as, uh, you know, the, like the, the, there's no question of, like, an elf, certainly one of the Calaquendi, sort of like coming to faith in a Luvatar. In any you know in any sense like you know one might use that phrase that that phrase to describe the spiritual experience of a man of Middle Earth or even of the Numenorians, um, the Numenorians. I mean, think about the way that that worked. Think about the way that 
Hurin is depicted, especially in the version of the Children of Hurin that we get in Unfinished Tales and which gets put largely into the Children of Hurin standalone volume. Um, Hurin as being like the transmitter, he is like totally down with the Eldar, right? He, he loves the Eldar, he is... He, he, uh, he loves the knowledge of the Eldar. He's like the, the, the sun rises and sets like from what the Eldar can tell him, you know, and he stands by and holds firm to what he's been told by the Noldor and they've been told by the Valar from beyond. So, and you can see this very clearly in the conversation that Hurin has with Morgoth when he defies Morgoth. He defies Morgoth on the... Uh, on the basis of what he's been told by the elves, which they have been told by the Valar. And Morgoth taunts him for this, you know, saying that, like, yes, you've been taught to, like, ape these lessons well by the, you know, you're, 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 you're just basically mimicking what the elves have told you and what the Valar have told them, but it's all lies, right? Um, uh, but, um, anyway, so it's, 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 um, th- this, you do get, but but again, the, the the way in which he, the kind of faith that Hurin has, um, Hurin has faith, the faith that he has in Iluvatar and in the Valar is based on his relationship with the Eldar. The faith that the Eldar have in Iluvatar is based on their relationship with the Valar. Um, and it's therefore more direct. It's not, it's not, it's, it's not in a sense, it's not even religion. Um, in a right, you know in, right. in a sense of how you would use that word. So I mean, I, I, th- I think you could easily make the statement that the elves don't have a religion. They don't do religion. They have a relationship with the Valar, um, either like in person, hanging out in Valinor, or from afar in Middle Earth. But they're still like when they are singing songs to Elbereth, they're not like doing religion. They're singing a song to Elbereth, knowing that she hears them. And they used to talk to her from a lot greater, you know, a lot closer physical proximity. Now they're talking to her from far away. But in their mind, there's nothing different that's happening, you know. Um, so anyway, I, 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 I don't want to I mean, we don't, we don't have to get like too in, in depth into this. I just want to I just wanted to kind of introduce that because I've, I've, I've been seeing this coming up and I want to make sure to to kind of raise this issue and make sure that we're not thinking in, in too to human terms and we do need to kind of give people something to latch on to but I think it's really deceptive and it's especially the, the thing I think I'm most resistant to is the idea of the Noldor being secular um, they're not secular it's in this sense like in the modern usage of the word secular meaning like skeptical about spiritual things like they're atheists or something or agnostics they're not atheists or, or agnostics they certainly don't believe the Valar don't exist they certainly don't believe that Iluvatar doesn't exist that's not on the table for the, for, for the Noldor. The question is what are they supposed to be doing and where are they supposed to live? And Dave, I come back to the thing you know that, that both of you two were saying before about their homes. Um, right. And this is where I, this is what I love about the overarching theme that we're ha- we have in the frame uh, or sort of how we have framed season two. What, in a sense, what really is the fundamental question for elves? It's not really a faith question. Um, what it is, is a belonging question. Where do elves belong? And the fact is, I think that the sort of the tragedy of elves in Tolkien's world is that there is no right answer to the question that Arwen is trying to answer in the frame. Do elves belong in Middle-earth or do they belong in Valinor? They belong in both places. 
they they yes they belong in Middle Earth yes they have they are called to Middle Earth and so when the Noldor uh, you know want to when they they feel connected to Middle Earth and want to go back there yeah they're rebelling yes they're being proud there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of negative stuff there's a lot of bad stuff attached uh, to the choice that the Noldor make to follow Feanor back to Middle Earth um, as is evidenced by its immediate fruit in the Kinslaying obviously but. But there's also a lot of good there. There's also a lot of of what is clearly the plan there. Um, so, um, and and yet uh, the Vanyar are also right. But that doesn't mean the Noldor are right and the Vanyar or the Avari are right and the and the Vanyar are wrong. You know that the, the Vanyar are right as well. And it's clear that the West is Elven home and they are meant to be joined with the Valar. Um, and it seems actually to me that if you want to find like the root of this sort of tragedy, the root of the divide, the root of the difficulty, it's in the Valar leaving Middle-earth in the first place. The fact that the elves have to choose between um, being in, being in, in, in union with the, um, with the Valar and being in Middle-earth. Um, so, so anyway, that that I think is 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 that that's I mean, if there's an issue, that's the issue. That's the issue that that you know comes up with the Noldor. That's the issue that and and the, so if you want to like differentiate between sort of culturally with the Vanyar, what makes the Vanyar different is that they are you know, Dave, as you were saying, they're gung- they're they are enthusiastic about finding their home in Valinor. They they feel less discontent in Valinor than anybody else feels. Um, I mean, it seems silly to kind of put it in a negative sense in that way. No. 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 Um, but, yeah. I would like to stick my two cents in here with regard to this sort of desire people seem to have to make some sort of spiritual um, parallel. I suggest that we stay with how Professor Tolkien did it, which is that he didn't make any parallels. Right. And one of the things that I love about Tolkien's works is that it's, it is therefore available to many people of many faiths and many beliefs and many, you know, it, 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 the audience will take away what they want to take away from it, just like they do with his books. And I think that's the road we should tread in this particular uh, thing. I think we are pragmatic. You know, it's, I think the home thing is true. You know, I think let, let the audience make their own parallels let them make their own um, decisions based within their own context. Is, mm-hmm. is how I think we should go ahead and do it in this particular area. Concur. Tell a good story. Let people read whatever they want to into it after. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and it's not like you know, it's not like, it's not like there's actually a huge explicit, a huge difference, right? Like, yeah. The fact that the fact that we're having this conversation means that that these themes are here. That perhaps, per you know, so so in other right. words, we can tell the story of fidelity. Right. Or we can tell a story of fidelity and kind of doing what you're supposed to do, uh, without explicitly portraying in the story these are the guys who are doing what they're supposed to be doing. We can right. just tell, we can just d- portray the story as it is, and in in and, and along the way, these things fall out of it immediately um, when the when you know Feanor um, misleads his fellow Noldor and they all decide to go on their merry way and give the Valar the middle finger and then kill a bunch of their friends like. We don't. We don't need to. We don't need to. We don't need to come out and say, um, you know, uh, ten episodes earlier. By the way, 
these guys right here are the, the good spiritual beings, and these guys are the jerks who don't listen, uh, and they're more um, evil um, right. uh, uh, secular skeptics. And as you'll find out, you know, in a season or two, uh, we, we'll show you exactly that. Like, we can just portray the story, and these things fall out of it. Right. Yeah. Right. I, uh, Plus, I, it gives a lot more. It gives a lot more scope for PhD dissertations and math. <laughs> well, you, know, you, you joke, but that's exactly what I was just about to say. You know, I was about to say that, like in my own reading of 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 authors, you know, as many uh, you know listeners will know, I tend not to be even really all that interested in what the authors themselves say is the meaning behind, you know, what's going on. It's like, no, your job is to tell the story. And the meaning is like, we, we will read, we will read the story. And, 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 you know, the, the meaning is a thing which is about the relationship between the reader and the text. Um, and the author is certainly not the arbiter or even the determinant of, of, of the meaning. That's, 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 not, that's not the author's job. Um, and I know that sounds really squishy, and it's actually, you know, I, what, I, what, I, what I do not mean when I say that is any meaning works with any story. It's, that's absolutely not true at all. It's not a completely subjective thing. Um, and yet you can't change the fact that like, so basically when, when an author writes a story and somebody says this story is really meaning, you know, it, 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 it has this meaning. The author can say this story does not have that meaning to me and that I did not, I I was not thinking that when I wrote it. Um, But that to me does not disprove the presence of that. And that's when we say, who cares? Exactly. Um, Thank you for writing the story. Now be quiet. Um, which is what I so often want to say to authors, um, especially J.K. Rowling. But anyway, um, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, oh god, don't get him started! Don't get him started! Oh no! I'm sorry. I just listened to like half of the Prisoner of Azkaban on the way on the drive. Of the, I just drove for 11 hours yesterday and listened to Harry Potter for about 10 of them uh, because my youngest son is now reading Harry Potter, so I have it like fresh in my memory again. Uh, but were I won't thinking, go there. Were you thinking the whole time you were listening to that that? Uh, Oh really? Really, Harry should be ending up with Hermione. Ron ending up with Hermione is a huge mistake. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I was like, no, that's totally revolutionized my reading of it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for clearing that. Thank up. you for clarifying yeah. that. Uh, never mind. Um, okay, but never mind. I'm not. I'm so. I'm so not going Great there. Debate. So. Let us sh- shift to the issues of episode three. Finally, so uh, first, let's touch on the frame. Um, there were several good suggestions about things that we could do in the frame. My favorite suggestion was uh, was Marie uh, Lewin's point um, about suggestion of having the twins visit, and it was the rationale that she gave for for the visit of Eladon and Elro here here um, that I really really liked. And that was remember the issue that we were talking about uh, earlier on with the frame about the gradual revelation of information, how we cannot assume that everyone's going to know that Arwen is Elrond's daughter and Galadriel's granddaughter, um, and that that's something that kind of needs to come out sort of gradually so that we don't front load the frame with a whole bunch of awkward exposition. Um, and I really liked the way that... Uh, uh, the way that Marie was articulating that in the discussion board when she was pointing out that in the first episode we basically get Arwen and we know that she is grieving for for her mother um, but we don't know who her mother is we don't even know, we don't even have to reveal her connection to Elrond necessarily um, 
we she could she can just I mean she's Arwen and you know canny viewers will know that she's the future wife of Aragorn um, and so therefore may remember that she's Elrond's daughter if they're if they retain their memories of the Peter Jackson films um, but in any case we don't we don't really have to go there we can the 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 data about about the frame that we can focus on in episode one is this is a grieving. Uh, elf woman who has lost her mother and Kelleborn comes of course in. you do know you do know that our that our, our uh, network uh, as a promo at the beginning of every season is going to do a marathon of Jackson's movies I mean you probably. know they're going to do that right? probably, probably. <laughs> But it's fine. Again, it's, again it's, it's no harm, of course, is done by their knowing more about Arwen than we That's emphasize right. in right. the episode. Um, but as far as like what we actually package, the relevant stuff, the relevant stuff in, in episode one is that Arwen is a grieving elf woman who's lost her mom and Celeborn, who is connected to her in some way, who is there as in this kind of sort of quasi paternal or avuncular position is, uh, you know, comes and advises her and tells and they have that conversation about the shadow having always been there and Caliborn talking about, you know, the Dark Rider at Quivianen and everything and how grief and loss has been a part of the Elvish existence since pretty much day one. So that's the that's the focus. And we so we don't have to go anywhere else. We don't have to talk about Galadriel. We don't have to talk about Elrond. We don't have to do we don't just 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 have that. Um, in episode two we introduce Galadriel. And so having having establishing that Arwen is is connected to Goandro, even even having establishing the maternal line there, right? That the 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 mother that uh that Arwen lost is Goadriel's daughter. That can come in uh in episode two. Uh, but still we don't have to emphasize Rivendell, we don't have to talk about that. Episode three then, Marie was suggesting, by bringing in the twins, uh, you know, Elod- Elodon and Elro here coming to visit from Rivendell, then we f- we in the third episode firmly connect Arwen to Elrond and to Rivendell, therefore to the characters with whom, you know, the people are already familiar from the frame of season one. Um, and, uh, you know, and so, and so we have the, this, this is Elrond's wife and we can bring in Elodon and Elro here, of course, are the ones who rescued her, um, uh, Calibrian. So, um, you know, they can be coming in. Marie's suggestion was that they come. The reason they come is that they're coming like to visit Arwen, but also to, to give her the, the news that her, Remember, we were talking about her her mentor figure in Rivendell who decides to go over the sea and that that's what prompts her soul searching time here in Lorien. Um, They can they can come to tell her that, like, she has departed and and is gone. Um, And so we can we can use Eladon and Elro here to introduce that idea, like the, the idea that she had a mentor back in Rivendell who went away is something that we don't have to reveal in episode one or episode two, but that can finally come out in episode three. I really like that idea. Well, so I, uh, uh, um, <laughs> my only, well, I, so I'm going to kind of stick an oar in here probably. Okay. When I was reading the notes, I was thinking, well, gosh, do we have to really be this serial with it? Oh, first episode, Celeborn, second episode, Gladrill, third episode, El Ro here in Elodin. I mean, we've still got what, you know, like ten more episodes, nine well, more episodes. Mean we need to, to add do. a character in every single episode, obviously. Well, but... so I was thinking. I mean, is there any reason we couldn't wait to like do episode four and do something else in episode three? And for me, the something else would be something something else. Buddy else suggested, and I apologize because I don't remember who it is. But something that kind of parallels the debate that's going to be going on in Quibian, right. and perhaps a um, 
somebody, I, maybe Marie or somebody suggested, maybe there's a, oh, it was Marie, suggested that there's a celebration of the trees every 144 years. And the issue is that the Noldor celebrate it, but the Sylvan Elves have absolutely no interest in it whatsoever. And, you know, Gladriel saying, well, you know, uh, people can do what they want or, you know, that kind of thing. Or there's some kind of festival where there's people that don't want to participate in it. Um, which does do the parallel, you know, with what's going to be going on in the debate. And then in episode four, bringing Aladdin over here. Just my thing, um, you know, I don't feel super strong either way, but it's kind of like just sort of break it up a little bit. So we're, we can you know. We do that. We can do that. I, um, I mean, I certainly was thinking the same thing, obviously, that the number one thing that the frame needs to do is to be, you know, to be providing, the, you know, the kind of context for the episode that we're doing. I mean, we need to have a connection there um, so that the story, uh, the, the story inside the frame is relevant to the frame story. Um, and so that, that clearly does need to happen. My own thought with that is that basically Arwen's own question of should you leave or should you stay is the thing which really frames the debate. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's so true. that's why I was, that's, that's why I was thinking about that. That's true. Um, yeah. The potential objection to the festival idea in my mind is that it doesn't seem to be really accurately true to the picture of Lorien that we get. I mean, in Lothlorien, I mean, uh, doesn't Lothlorien have a Noldor population of approximately one? <laughs> I think, I mean, like, I don't right. know that anyone yeah. in Lothlorien... One and a quarter with Arwen there. Right, exactly, <laughs> one and a quarter with Arwen there. Um, uh, so, well, maybe it's the other way around. They have a festival and Galadriel doesn't want to participate. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, um, <laughs> she abstains uh, as the only Calaquendi present in the land. Um, so, yeah, that, for that reason... I mean, now, that's we, we could change that. I mean, we could change that. I don't... Uh, I mean, I would want to be cautious, obviously, if we're going to introduce a change like that. That's something that could have big repercussions later on. And I would want to make sure that we are... I mean, so it's 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 a kind of change I don't want to make without thinking yeah. about it in advance. Nick says that they actually introduced a festival uh, when they did the... They're working on script for episode two. They've introduced a festival. So anyway, I, you know, I was just thinking, you know, boom, Killiborn, boom, Galadriel, boom, Eladon and Roll. I just was kind of like, right. let's right. save a little bit of that. Let's, you know, maybe fourth or fifth episode bring the twins in. I don't know. You know, I... Well, we, I we, maybe we don't think... want to make that long, wait that long to do the reveal that Arwen is actually Arwen's daughter and her you know relationship is as granddaughter to these two right. i don't know well i mean in that sense from a from a standpoint of thinking about the frame as a continuous story there seems to be a little bit more urgency in wanting to connect it back to rivendell yeah. sooner you yeah. know but as but again to me the bigger question is always going to be what fits with the episode content best um, mm-hmm. So my question would be, if now, if the time of the great debate is not the time to introduce Arwen's, like the reason for Arwen's personal dilemma true. of should we go or should that's we stay, what, what's true. a better time? You know, when, yeah, when would true. be the moment for that? And looking forward mm-hmm. at the content of the future episodes. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I don't see one that jumps out at me, but, um, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I don't. Um... Because the uh, the arguments that that uh, that the uh, uh, discussion board came up with in terms of the pro versus con were, I thought, were really good. Me too. You know, in terms of yeah. we should go because of this and we should stay because of this, and I thought both were excellent. And you're right, Arwen would just like jump on those. <laughs> 
you know, I mean, it'd be a great, great way to use the frame and, and, and forward her story. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, cause I think if we're, if we want to foreground the idea in the frame that the, um, the fundamental question for Arwen is where the home of the elves really is. Do they belong mm-hmm. in Middle Earth or do they belong in Valinor? Um, is it a cop out to go to Valinor? Um, you know, and should they be staying and, and working in Middle Earth? Um, you know, the great debate is kind of a good, seems like a good moment for that to come out because those, the, yeah. the both sides of the, I mean, we would like to create a situation, I think, where both halves of the argument that will happen in the great debate in this episode are things that resonate with Arwen. Um, and I, I think it would be ideal kind of peeking ahead to that debate. Um, I don't want there to be an obvious right and wrong answer. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, it's really easy to paint the Avari as the bad guys and it would be, it would be tempting to do, uh, and I could imagine a bad version of, uh, you know, a bad film version of this where the Avari are just depicted as like, you know, bad guys in waiting, right? You know, they're just like the 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 truculent, ill-tempered ne'er do wells who refuse to come to Valinor. Um, and I, I think instead we can depict this as like this is a division of the ways when like there are two there are two equally valid destiny for the elves, and one goes one way and one goes the other way, and it really is not obvious to anybody you know, that one is absolutely right and the other is absolutely wrong. Um, and that's where Arwen is, right? That's, that's the, that's the, the whole dilemma. But the fact that you, you do have to choose, you know, you can't have it both ways. So which way are you going to choose and why? And that's Arwen's problem, right? That's where she's going to be like working towards, um, you know, as the season goes along, trying to figure out where is she going to choose and on what basis is she going to choose? So, um, yeah. Anyway, and it, it doesn't have to be Eldon and Elro here. We don't have to introduce them and do the Rivendell connection. Um, but I do think the frame should be. Re- I, I would. I would prefer the frame to be Arwen focused rather than like Lothlorien culture focused, because this really is the heart of Arwen's personal debate um, in the frame. I think. Um, yeah. Sounds now, good. Now, Tracy's right. Tracy points out that there is, of course, another component of the debate for Arwen. You know, she's she is half elven. She's Parathel and her, um, uh, you know, it's more than just where does she as an elf belong. There's also the mortal part, too. I agree, Tracy, but we're not we're totally not there yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, well, that will come up, but it'll probably it will, come up later. 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 I mean, yeah. in fact, I mean, Tracy, I would say. That's basically the interesting thing that we get with Arwen's character development in the frame of season five, um, when we're right. when we're doing the Baron and Luthien story, and she's debating. I was like, so first you have she, to just stick around that long, Tracy. <laughs> first, she's got to figure out, you know, the elf thing, the elf situation, um, and once right. she gets she, she gets the elf framework worked out, then she's got to move on to deal with the oh, NPS, I'm I'm part mortal as well, so. Uh, Let's deal with that. Well, that will come up strong, won't it? Because season five is the Baron and Lucian episode, and Aragorn Arwen will be the frame for that, right? And that's where it's going to... So the whole elf versus... The the, the elf versus... The destiny of elves and humans, that's got to be the overarching... You know, one of the overarching themes of the frame of of season five, obviously. Five. Um, Absolutely. So we'll get there. We'll totally get there, but not for a few minutes. (laughs) By the time Corey's boys have graduated high school, we should be there. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'll be. I'll be, I'll be and little Kale will be walking that. around being exactly, a yeah. child genius. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you better. Like, you better. <laughs> okay. Cool. So, um, so we can save, and you guys can, you guys on the discussion boards can tell me what you think about this. I'd be happy to come back and revisit this if you would want to save Eldon and Elro here and do them later on. I could see that too. I mean, I could see the. Um, uh, Eldon and Elro here, and like the you know, and the the story of the rescue of uh, of Calabrian uh, from the hold of the orcs, that could be worked into a later episode. Um, you know, the issue. I can of... even see a conversation between Arwen and her brothers. You know, without Caliborn and Galadriel around, oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah, where she's wrestling with this question, and they yeah. and they're also Parathel. You know, it's like it's it's just yeah. I mean, I think that could be really interesting. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, Tony Mead was asking a question about the Athrobeth. No, the Athrobeth is going to be taking place in the context of season four. Um, uh, Endreth herself is going to be one of the big characters of. And she'll be played four. by the same actress that played um, Gil Ryan. No, just, I don't. We haven't decided that. But. <laughs> we haven't decided that. But. I'm just saying we were making so many parallels last yes. season with Gil Ryan and Andreth, So you know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, anyway, okay, so you guys can you guys can 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 think more about how you you know what you would actually want to have the content of the frame uh, be there, but um, uh, but anyway, yeah, so we can we can, but 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 I, I I do I do think that it's really important. In some ways, I think uh, episode three is like the most deeply personally relevant of all of the issues to to Arwen's fundamental question. Um, so. Um, so yeah, no, Tony, exactly. That's my question. Uh, do we bring the twins in or do we not bring the twins in? I'm a little plus minus on what precipitates it. Um, uh, in, in fact, I'm, the more I think about it, the more I kind of think actually since, again, since Eldon and Elro here were the ones to rescue Calabrian, I actually would kind of prefer to save them not for bringing about Ar- uh, Arwen's thoughts about the ultimate home of the elves, but rather um, for them to be talk, for them to be giving a flashback of Calabrian's rescue and talk about healing, um, I would think. My own thought is that Eldon and Elro here are way cooler with the fact that their mom is in the West than Arwen is, um, because they yeah. saw her suffering, yeah. and they're really happy to see her go off and get healed. Um, like they miss her and stuff, but they are the ones who like actually like broke the chains of the orcs off her wrists and are really, really happy uh, to send her off in the ship and see her get healed. Um, and so they should be providing that perspective. I think um, the healing of Valinor and the, so it, it, if they're going to be on a side, I think they would be on the like pro going to Valinor ultimately side though. Plus they could bring up the yeah. point. Since, of course, at this point, Arwen is elf-elf, yes. they could bring up the point to her as, like, sister, we're, sister, we're going to see her again. Right. We're going to see her again. Exactly. You know, it, this is not forever. So which, trust which me, could she's be happier extra where point she is. For later. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. Um, so maybe we do that. Um, um, maybe maybe we do Eladon and Elro here and that, and that element of their story and of their relationship with Arwen um, later, like, during the like noontide of Valinor portion of our season, basically. Um, maybe we save them for that side of it. Um, That's a good idea. 
um, and Arwen could be introducing. I mean, the, the the issue with Arwen's mentor and Arwen's mentor's decision to go overseas could be just something that she brings up um, in talking with Goadriel and Celeborn. And Plus, we, if we want to establish the relationship with Elrond and Celeborn and Galadriel earlier, there are other ways we could do it. I mean, you know, yeah, we could, you know, we could establish that without the twins. Yeah. Um, yeah. In some way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, as Marie was just pointing out, I was just as I was just about to say uh, to Tony, who is asking this question, what happens with the twins? They do not leave with Elrond. Um, they stay with Celeborn. So Marie was suggesting we could actually uh you know, develop their relationship with their grandfather, Celeborn, with whom they're going to stay. Yeah. So on the one idea. hand, I mean, I, I think they actually are kind of in an, in an interesting position, right? They are, um, they can be basically pro Valinor, but they, but also they're going to stay longer in middle earth than m- most anybody. Right. So I, it, to me, it'd be kind of interesting to have the twins be basically just kind of not having the same problem that Arwen is having. They're like... I mean, they can empathize in terms of right. her connection to Middle-earth. They right. show or share a similar connection, you know, and I maybe the only difference is they didn't fall in love with mortal women. <laughs> it's like Arwen could have right. gone the same way except she fell in love right. with a mortal man. Right, you know? exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, basically that's where they're... Um, yeah, yeah, they, they, they decide that... Um, uh, they, you know, they do have duties here. They have, they have, you know, they have roles here in Middle Earth that they want to fulfill. Um, but they, uh, but yeah, I mean, they just seem like kind of less torn up about the whole thing. Like, yeah, we're going to go to Valinor eventually. It's all good, but uh, not yet. You know, we still got things to do here. Um, anyway, so yeah, I, I think we should probably save the uh, the twins. Um, and as Tom Hillman points out, we don't know anything, in fact, about the twins marital state. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Marie points out that they deal with this by really, really, really hating orcs. Um, yes. True. Right. True. <laughs> yes. They sublimate their angst into violence, uh, which uh, well, plus they have a do. personal vendetta against orcs anyway. Yeah. Because of their mom. The mom. Exactly. So. Right. So yeah. Arwen, here's Arwen like talking to grandma and grandpa about it. And they're like, why talk to grandma and grandpa when you can just go out and slaughter orcs? It really makes you feel better. <laughs> Uh, you should try it. Uh, <laughs> you'll feel no end better if you just go uh, with us and uh, kill right. a whole bunch of orcs. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh, we, we you know that conversation will be interesting. But I would rather I would rather keep the focus on like their perspective and hers rather than just having them be messengers. By the way, as a connection to Rivendell, I just you know I'm not biased or anything. But I mean, Glorfindel could come visit. <laughs> It's not, that, it's not at all that we just want to drag Glorfindel in at no, every No, it's not case. that I don't have, you know, it's yeah. not that I have, like, a particular affection for him or anything. <laughs> exactly. But, you right. know. Not, no, not but don't worry. Don't worry. Glorfindel can totally be a, a major figure in the frame of season three. I think that Glorfindel awesome. should be going about with Aragorn Yay. for at least part of the time. I mean... Eldon oh, and Elro here definitely they they will get they will get some time in the sun. Uh, That's true because Glorfindel's got stories to tell, doesn't he? Exactly. Big time. Yeah, and the whole you know that that I mean remember his 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 remit right? I mean Glorfindel came back because of his love for the for the house of of Eärendil and 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 uh, and in, and uh, Indus. Listen to me, um, uh, uh, Idril, that 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 other eye girl. Um, uh, <laughs> You know, Tuor and Arendel and Israel. Um, you know, so basically, Aragorn is the 
you know, sort of the, the, the last descendant of the one branch of that. So I, I would think actually that one of the ways in which Glorfindel's, um, Glorfindel would be seeing himself as playing his role that he came back to play in Middle Earth, um, would be to to watch over the Dunedain. Um, in fact, one yeah. it would be fun even to sort of suggest that um, Glorfindel's care is one of the. Remember that uh, that business about how like by 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 a good fate, um, the line of Elendil stayed true father to son all the way down mm-hmm. through the chieftains mm-hmm. of the Dunedain and everything. Well, maybe that wasn't totally a coincidence, right? You know, maybe, yeah. th- maybe there's, th- I mean, obviously it's not only providential um, and, uh, and the Valar themselves having a hand in that as well. Um, but again, I would think that Gorfindel would be really interested to make sure that that a good agent. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And of course, as Maria is saying, remember he's the one who gives the prophecy about the Witch right. King, um, so we know he's involved in, in in some of those other moments and everything. So yeah, I, I think that Glorfindel should definitely be like, especially with Aragorn growing up in in Rivendell, he should totally be appointing himself as like one of the right. mentors of Aragorn. And you know, you do see that kind of uh, band of brothers. Uh, repartee yes. between the two when they meet on the road. Yes. Glorfindel and Aragorn. Exactly. Exactly. And again, you know. this is one of the things that I love most about doing this whole thing about not only, not only about the, the, the stories themselves, the, you know, the, the Silmarillion stories themselves, but of the frames as well, the way that we can take moments that are going to be really familiar to all of the people of the book and we can invest them with this new significance because they have this backstory. Yeah. So yes, the, the joyous reunion, of Aragorn and Go- and Gorfindel um, on the road to the ford is going to be um, j- it's just going to look so different, you know, when we have established them as you know, as Glorfindel as one of the like chief like friends and supports of his childhood and 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 manhood. You know, that's going to be really cool. So yeah, so don't worry. In so other words, going back to Quivian, we're totally getting there, Dave. It's like uh, uh, really, we're almost there. In fact, um, okay, okay. So, uh, so I have an idea, Dave. How about we go back to Quivian? <laughs> uh, all right. The first thing I want to figure out is let's make a list of characters that are definitely in. Whom do we want to have involved in the uh, uh, in the debate? Now, I do think that um, uh, uh, Hakan and, and a couple other people are making very sensible statements about the introduction of characters that we don't have to be really like uptight about introducing everybody by name and making sure everybody remembers all the names the first time they come up. It's perfectly fine, for instance, to have somebody like Kierden was the one who was brought up in the discussion boards. Somebody like Kierden speak in the council, but we don't even have to say his name. Um, or even put a name under him, right? Like a subtitle. He, he doesn't need to be wearing a, hello, my name is Kierden, the, <laughs> the future shipwright. Uh, 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 name a, tag. Tiny little caption under every single character, <laughs> exactly. and then a uh, and then a short link to like the, to make it interactive. Yeah. yeah, QR code. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, no, no, exactly. So no, we, we we don't have to. Do, so basically, Kierden can speak, uh, and he can. Um, so that but basically people can recognize him. But again, as I think it was Hakan on the on the discussion boards was saying. It's it's perfectly fine for um, viewers to just be, 
remember him as like, oh yeah, like they'll see him again a, a couple episodes from now and be like, oh yeah, that was the guy who spoke. You know, I, I that was that dude. I, I yeah. saw that dude before at the council, um, and it's fine if you don't learn his name until the second or third time that you see him. Um, but which characters do we want to to be involved? Um, I'm thinking. Well, obviously, person numero uno should be Glorfindel. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly, I see nothing wrong with that. Right? Yeah, no. I, think, I think we should. I think we should. Don't think it's born yet, but... We should change things so he's actually the high king of the elves. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. See, Dave, now you are the one who's trying to derail us again. You're such yeah, a no, guy. I know he's bad. I would like to say that I, I, as I, my vote is that as much as we can do this, we have characters who we will see again. I mean, even um, if we're not naming yes. them. Like, for example, yes. the idea of Aeol as one of the speakers Perfect. stay. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent idea. Yeah. Aeol, I, I would like to do that. Definitely. Um, now, Aeol should not be the primary speaker. I think even among the Avari, Aeol should be a loner. Um, right. So he's like, not even the rest of the Avari like Aeol. Nobody likes Aeol. You know, I mean, he, he's... He, he <laughs> Everyone be, likes Finrod. Nobody likes Aeol. Finrod, nobody likes <laughs> Aeol. Exactly. So um, I, I do think um, I do think that we should... Um, uh, 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 have but 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 definitely I, I I love the idea of having him there. So okay so 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 uh, Ale should be there. The three ambassadors obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Olway needs to be present again. He doesn't have to be somebody. The spotlight doesn't need to fall on him yet. But Elway's brother, we're gonna have because we can't have you know Elway disappear because that's gonna happen next episode. That happens in episode four. So we need right. to have Elway waiting in the wings and be recognizable and present. We could maybe even. Um, have him alluded to, not even by name, but have it be clear that he's Elway's brother. Um, Elway could even talk about my brother or something like that, but he doesn't have to say his name. Um, uh, so, anyway, just introducing the idea that that Elway has a brother named Elway, who you know, or has a brother there, should should come up. Right. Um, uh, Muriel with Finway, we had, uh, you know, we talked about that. That was, a that was something that the outline writers were insisting on and that I really like the idea of. So, um, especially if Muriel is going to be a character earlier on with her engagement with Finway, we should definitely obviously have her, uh, be speaking at the, um, uh, be speaking at the, the, the we, event. Do we have any of our, are any of our frame characters here? Uh, Kelleborn. Kelleborn. We wanted Kelleborn so no, to be a sort of younger generation, but present at, uh, at no, Gideon. No Galadriel yeah. yet. No Galadriel. No, she, she's not born yet. She's going to be born in Valinor. Okay. Yeah, she can't be, because remember, she is the she is the daughter of the son of Finway's second marriage. So, uh, so she's, <laughs> right. Good by point. definition, she's going to be in the Unless she's using the power of her elven ring to travel through time or something. Exactly, yeah. And we don't want to get into the Doctor <laughs> Who crossover, so let's definitely not do that. Um, uh, yeah, Marie points out that just, you know, if, if when the ambassadors return home, we'll have Finway coming back to Muriel, his fiancée, who will have been waiting for him for, remember, quite some time. We had talked about yeah, quite the, some time. the departure of the ambassadors being almost legendary. Else. Yeah. Um, so she's not moved on, um, and Elway comes back to his brother Elway. So, so you know that, that that can be another sort of reunion between Elway and Elway um, uh, when they come back. Um, 
uh, uh, cured in the ship, right? He should be present, but not, uh, but, but probably, you know, we shouldn't make a big deal of his name. Um, um, uh, uh, Lenway, Lenway needs to be there. Lenway is going to be a very important character because that's going to be the very first thing that needs to happen in episode four is Lenway deciding to remain with the Nandor. Um, he's good. So that the first splitting off of the Teleri is going to happen first thing in episode four. Um, so we need to, so Lenway's position in the debate is, is, is going to be a really important one for us to decide um, because implicit in that is going to be what's up with the Nandor in episode four. Um, so we need, we need to be thinking ahead. Uh, towards that. Um, uh, Tony Mead asks about Beleg and Mablung. Um, I think that they can be there. Um, <clears throat> I uh, Here's the problem. Uh, the elves were wandering for a really long time, so it's like perfectly possible that Beleg and Mablung both um, uh, from Doriath were both born after the departure from Quivian, like on the road, basically. Um, but Although the migration of the elves took thousands of years, it only is going to take two episodes uh, in our show. <laughs> so um, <laughs> having people born and grow up in the course of like a, a you know, a, a, an hour long episode is a little much. Um, so I do think we're going to need to, but I don't think we need to introduce them at the debate. Um, they need to come in, but they don't need to come in until later on. I, I think we want to have Beleg and Mablung and Dairon, all three of them, on the screen um, when we get the the Sindar deciding to stay and look for Elway. Um, <clears throat> but um, but not yet. Um, we will need another spokesperson for the Avari. Because Aeol can't be the only spokesperson for the Avari because that would make him a leader of people and we don't want Aeol to be a leader. We want him to be a loner. Um, so we're going to need somebody who is like the spokesperson for the like mainstream Avari. Um, and he's going to be somebody we can make up a name for him or not. Um, but um, we... Uh, we, I mean, I'm, when I say make up a name, it is it's Hakan. I am totally fine with using one of the names that Tolkien made up for the yeah. other elves that we yeah. have. So, Norway, why not? Absolutely. Um, no, not Bobway though. Bobway got lost. Leader. It's the, the, <laughs> the absence of Bobway has to have this mythic significance for the Avar. Right. You see. Right. Um, so they need to be pursuing <laughs> the con- the idea of Bobway uh, for the rest of time. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> his name shall be Santa. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about uh, what about somebody in the the line of like like a, either either this guy or an ancestor, Amroth? Amroth, what? I, Amroth, sure. Uh, it, I, I'm laughing because we we were just joking about this in uh, um, in the Lost Road class uh, in the Mythgard Academy because Amroth is a name that Tolkien keeps using and he loved that name he, but he loved it so much they keep assigning it to different people and then changing his mind. So he like he wrote Amroth first, crossed it out, and wrote a different name in front of it. Like uh, 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 Amroth was uh, was was um, uh, uh, Elendil originally. Amroth was the first was 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 a name that he put in his first drafts of the Fall of Numenor material, uh, which you can read about in the first couple of chapters of The Lost Road, um, when he first wrote the very original idea of the Last Alliance. 
Amroth was the name of the king that emerged and went and like wrestled with the shadow and threw him down, but died. And then he changed his name almost immediately to Agildor, and then he named it to something else. Um, uh, and, and then eventually it becomes Alindel. Um, when it gets more fully integrated with the Numenor story, but uh, but but there are there are a couple places where he's like, I'll call him Amroth. Nah, no, nah, well, I'll save that name. Um, and then he, you know, <laughs> so he Amroth. He kept coming back with that. So I'm sorry. That's why I was laughing at the suggestion of Amroth. Uh, that would be that would be uh, that would be a deeply inside joke. Um, but um, but yeah. It, you know, maybe we should rescue the name of Amroth, and uh, and and at least if we stick with Amroth from the Amroth and Nimrodel story, we should at least give him a. Uh, we definitely need to give Amroth a little more backstory, which actually makes me think: um, <clears throat> could we, um, could we connect Amroth in Episode Four with the Nandor? Because he's a Nandor dude, yeah. Yeah. we could bring in Amroth in the next episode, but he wouldn't be the he wouldn't be an Avari then. Um, anyway, okay, all right, never mind. But that's 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 a, that's an episode four question. Let's not uh, sufficient unto the session is the episode thereof. Let's um, let's stick with it. okay. So I, so I think now we only have one girl. I mean, I'm not trying to be like a, a tokenist here, but uh, Muriel is the only female we have participating in the debate right now. Um, are there other women we're forgetting that we should include? Hmm. We said we don't want to even bring Indis on stage yet, which I think I think would be wise for yeah. us not to bring her in until later on. I don't think on. there are, are there? Um, uh, well, we shouldn't let that stop us from making some up. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe the, more weight. Be a woman. How well <laughs> or you? Or a woman. The other thing, um, yeah, exactly. Maria, I was thinking exactly the same thing. There aren't any other named. We could certainly give these guys wives and mothers. Absolutely. That's that's just uh, that's just what I was thinking. What about Arwen's mentor? Ah. Um. Mm. Now, I mean, we couldn't make her one of the Avari, obviously. Um, or else she would hardly be living at Rivendell later on. Um, but we could make her, um, you know, maybe connected to Finway or to Muriel. Ooh, that'd be awkward. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, you were my... Uh, my what? Great grandfather's first wife's sister. Yeah, okay. We're, we're really tight. Um, <laughs> uh, I see a spinoff merchandising here. Uh, Elven, Elven family trees at the book. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, Tony. I mean, Tony is saying, why not? Why should? Why couldn't? Uh, uh, you know, maybe there is. Uh, an Avari living in Rivendell with Elrond. That could conceivably happen. I agree that could conceivably happen. I mean, we could even make a decent story out of that. Um, you know, to have her come west later on. You know, she could stay. Uh, in fact, what if she were even the spokesperson of the Avari that we need? Right? Um, and uh, so we have her as the leader of the Avari, and then she, but then, but then, why would she be going off to Valinor? I guess she would be going off to Valinor, though. Maybe that could. Uh, hang on, I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking about four things at once. 
if she were the spokesperson of the Avari, she could come west into Middle-earth sometime during, like, maybe even the Second Age um, and could become acquainted with, like, uh, with Elrond in the Second Age, like during the Wars of the Rings of Power, for instance. Exactly, Chris, near the establishment of, of Rivendell. Um, Marie is asking why would she be Arwen's mentor? Well, she would just be, she would just be a very senior uh, elf woman who like Arwen was really close to, and of course, if she were originally Avari, then that would do two things. It would both explain Arwen's own. Um, it would help at least to contextualize Arwen's own convictions about Middle Earth activism, because she would have she would have gotten that from her. Uh, from her Avari friend and mentor, but it would also make her spin off into a an identity crisis when her Avari mentor goes to Valinor at the end, which like they can, right? I mean, the elves of Minowork. It doesn't say that the Avari are never welcomed. I mean, the elves can return, you know, can go. Um, so I would think that that could happen. Um, I had not contemplated that concept. But we do need a spokesperson. We do have to make up a spokesperson for the Avari anyway. And it would be Uh kind of interesting to have an Avari come back and play a role later on. We also know, of course, that the Avari... The other thing that we know about the Avari, one one of the very few other things that Tolkien ever said about the Avari, was that they helped the men. You know, they were the, were the, the teachers of men in their youth, you know, in the youth of the race. Uh, it was the Avari that, that men first met um, and who first helped to teach them speech and stuff. Um, and this, of course, all comes from the Tree of Tongues in the Hlamas, where Tolkien had said there should be a, there should be a line of influence between the tongue of the, of, the, of the Avari, well, the Limbi, as he called them then, and of men. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Tony says it would also be nice to have an Avari who isn't a jerk like Ale. Exactly, Tony. See, I, again, I, 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 I want to, I want to avoid the possibility that they're seeing that, like, the decision to stay at Quivienen. I don't want our audience to see that as like tantamount to going over to the dark side, right? Because it's not going over to the dark side. Um, and the Avari, unwilling though they may be to go to Valinor, doesn't mean that they're bad people. Um. So. Um, and Maria is, is talking is introducing the issue that if if the only people representing the Avari are a woman and Aeol, so there's like the solitary jerk and a woman, while the Calaquendi are all represented by main character men. Well, but I think if the she doesn't have to be the only person who speaks. I mean, there can be other. People, but she would be the only one of them who would develop into a character. I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of torn here. Like I said, this is not something I thought about in advance. I'm completely thinking off the cuff here, and thinking about this connection to Arwen's mentor and the idea of making the, the spokesperson, the sort of the chief spokesperson of the Avari, a woman. Um, I'm trying to decide. As I talk about it, I'm trying to decide whether or not I really like this idea or not. I can see making it work in some ways. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, at the debate, there'll be a whole bunch of people on the Avari side. We need to, we, we certainly need to make sure that it doesn't look like only a small, minor, teensy contingent is remaining. I mean, the majority of the Teleria are remaining, so we need to make it pretty clear that there's a big crowd of them. Um, Tony, the Sylvan Elves are part of the Teleri, but they're the Nandor who are going to split off right away in Episode 4. Um, but I think there's got to be a pretty close affinity between Lenway and the other Nandor um, and the Avari. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, and Chris, you're right. She would be a very ancient elf in the relatively modern House of Elrond. But Chris, actually, that's what I kind of like about it, because if, she, on the one hand, her being an Avari, well, while there's a lot of Calaquendi there at Elrond, would seem to make her a second-class citizen, potentially, right? But if she is, in fact, more senior than pretty much anybody else at the House of... I mean, if she's, like, the oldest and most venerable of all of the elves of Rivendell, that kind of counteracts the fact that she's not Calaquendi and indeed was one of the Avari. Um, uh, no, Hawkins, she's not older than Kierden, but Kierden's not at not at not not a Rivendell. We're talking about the elves of Rivendell. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom, I also am kind of thinking that there would be interaction between the Avari and the Nandor that they could have blended some over the ages. Uh, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't necessarily. I mean, the the only Sindar, the only of the Sylvan elves, the Nandor that we know, are the ones that came, you know, into the western parts of Middle Earth, and therefore that we know of. Right? I mean, like the the Lothlorien and and uh, and and uh, Mirkwood elves, um, but those are not the easternmost of the Nandor, even presumably. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, 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 <laughs> Marie. I'm totally not even gonna get get Denethor. Um, let's not even talk about Denethor. I'm not. <laughs> I don't want to go there. Don't even want to go there yet. Um, we're saving the Green Elves for season three. Se- the Green Elves are gonna be season three. Um, uh, uh, oh, it's oh, it's not even. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to think about Denethor. Um, okay, okay. Um. So what do you got? What do you two think? Do you like the? Do you like this idea of uh, of having of the the this Avari the the Avari woman who is the spokesperson at the debate and also Arwen's boy it would kind of make it hard for Arwen not to be thinking about her departure in the frame if we have her actually the spokesperson at the debate inside the episode. Or I guess that could follow in episode four once we've introduced her. Hmm. 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 That's tricky. I don't know. Well, let's... let's... That may be tough to do. It may be tough to do. I mean, that would be the most... Well, I mean, but we, we, we talked about this, right? I mean one of the issues that we have in season two that we did not have in season one 
is the fact that characters in the frame of season two are also going to be characters inside the frame uh, in season two, right? We didn't have that issue. In season one, it was just people in in the third age telling long-distance stories of what happened way back at the beginning of time. Um, you know, that was really a, you know... Uh, there was a there was a huge gap between the frame and the and the and the first age story inside the frame. Here we already we have crossover immediately with young Kellenborn, right? Um, and so we're going to have to deal with this issue, you know, this issue of uh, things that happened to the people in the first age stories still being relevant in the frame, you know, and dealing with that same character, you know, tens of thousands of years later in the frame. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hakan asks, will we ever see the mentor in the frame? We could, Hakan. If we introduce her as a character, we could do that. We could, we could introduce her as a character here and have like a flashback episode where uh, Arwen is remembering saying farewell to her when she departs for the Havens. We could do that. And, and have a whole frame episode with that. Um, that seems to me very, um, very, very possible. Certainly, certainly, on the one hand, on the one hand, that could get quite complex. Yeah. Uh, on as the far other as like hand, flashback and different, the yes. chronological yes. shifting, yeah, yeah. A flashback within a frame within story. Within a frame story. Of another story. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We could have her be in season one. She could be one of Estelle's teachers. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm right. kidding. I'm, but I'm just thinking. But I'm thinking. On the other hand, uh, it would certainly increase sort of the emotional weight of this of this particular frame story if this were not just like a sort of a character that this wasn't like a person who's never appeared on screen that Arwen's just happens to be talking about. Right. So she, so she has to convince us that that she's really upset about it, versus you know if we actually see this person on the screen and we see their relationship, then it becomes more more visceral. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, okay. Um, yeah. Well, it's going to be tricky, but again, this is the kind of problem we've set ourselves up for. What's what's. <laughs> Let's urge people to keep thinking. We can we can revisit this a little bit next time in our review segment at the beginning. I, I'll be interested kick to see what people say on the forums. We should have this. a we should have a special sound effect. Special kick sound effect for kicking can. the can. Yeah. Well, I'm not totally <laughs> kicking the can. Kicking the can no, is when yeah. I refuse to talk about something until that's a future right. episode. That's true. That's true. This yeah. is just saying, okay, we've thrown out this idea. Let's see what people think about this idea. And because yeah. I, I, I don't feel like I want to make a unilateral ruling here. I want to I want to see what people what people think about that. Um, okay. Um, so, uh, so, all right, so let's, let's focus on the argument itself. Um, so in the debate, uh, what are the terms under debate? And the main thing I have said that I really want, want to see is that I want to see positive arguments on both sides. We don't Mm -hmm. want just like a bunch of recalcitrant, uh, Avari sitting around with their bottoms, bottom lips thrust out and their arms folded, refusing to go. Right. Um, we want we want positive and even attractive arguments on both sides. Um, and I think I agree with Trish. You had mentioned this before. And I I 
agree. I think it was Hakan who posted this, and he nailed every, like everything I was thinking. He said as well. Um, so I'll read Hakan's suggestions here. Um, the people who want to go to the, the the central arguments of the people who want to go to Valinor, the Leavers, as he calls them, are. Valinor is fantastic, right? The ambassadors describe how awesome Valinor is and the two trees and the light and being with the Valar and learning from them and all the things, you know, so all the perks of going to Valinor because Valinor is awesome. That's argument number one. Argument number two, uh, Middle-earth is dangerous and we need help. They'll be talking about the hunter and other potential dangers and their safety in Valinor with the Valar. And then three, it's our destiny to live with the Ainur and Ingwe, he said, you know, he's saying would speak particularly uh, of Manwe and Varda. Finwe can talk about meeting Aule and um, and and the knowledge that he's gained. This is where we get, you know, Finwe as the like a you know enthusiastic adult convert that we talked about last time, right? He's he was a little reluctant at first, but now he's like totally gung ho. Um, uh, so those seem to me really, and I I mean I would, um, I would actually of the three. I would say the stress should be on on argument three. It's our destiny to live with the Ainur. Like the, we have found the Valar. They are the they are the keepers and caretakers yeah. of this world. We are we are designed to be their students and 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 helpers. Like we have a role to play in this world, and in order to fulfill that role, we need to learn at the feet of the Valar themselves, and um, and you know take our place in this world. Um, that I think should be, the, and, and absolutely, Ingwe should be the primary speaker for that um, for that argument. But again, it's again, it's not just a it's not just a Vanyar thing. Um, that's something that that Finway would agree with too, and Elway also. Um, this so so again, you know, reading through the lines here, what this kind of boils down to is their their argument is the true home of the elves is Valinor. Right, we belong there, um, and then the stairs, as Hakan says, you know, the, the arguments of the Avari are: Middle Earth is fantastic; we love it here. Right, um, it's our destiny to live in Middle Earth. Um, we need to be. We need to be. So that's sort of the the thing that corresponds to our home is in Valinor with the Ainur, you know, w- with the Valar, and the Avari say, no, our home is here in Middle Earth. Both of them are right. Right, but the, both of them are those are both correct arguments, um, and they love Middle Earth, and they should love Middle Earth, and the love of Middle Earth has been placed in their hearts uh, by Iluvatar. That's how they were designed, um, and uh, um, and you know, so again, side arguments to that 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 Hakan was articulating things like who will protect the lesser creatures from the shadow if it returns? Like, yeah, Middle Earth is dangerous. That's why we should stay, not why we should go. Right, we shouldn't abandon Middle Earth to the darkness. Uh, see, I'm kind of thinking some of the arguments of the Avari can be. They, it's not that they necessarily um, should be making anti-Valar arguments. Like, it's not like they should be actually criticizing the Valar. I don't think they need to be doing that. But the arguments that they make are kind of. I, I mean, I think it, they can be kind of taken as a bit of an indictment. You know, like basically, if yeah, they yeah, say a, we shouldn't leave Middle indictment. Earth, yeah, yeah, like Middle Earth has been abandoned to the darkness, and that's not right. We shouldn't abandon it. Um, they don't have to say the Valar should never have abandoned it in the first place, but it's kind of implicit in the in the conviction yeah. that they have. I do kind of want. I wonder if they're. Uh, I wonder if. I wonder if 
their their arguments could down the road be echoed by uh, by an Anatar. Uh huh. Absolutely. Ah, interesting. Absolutely. We can kind of borrow from some of the rhetoric um, that Anatar uses about sort of like, you know, hey, it's our job to 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 think think about Middle Earth and to you know try and instead of uh, you know instead of going across the sea and abandoning Middle Earth to darkness, um, you know, and just having the light for ourselves, we should be endeavoring to bring it to to Middle Earth because Absolutely. we love Middle Earth. Not to mention the arguments of the Numenorians in their desire to be able to go into the West and their fear of death and right. desire not to die. Not to mention the arguments of Saruman to Gandalf. Right? I mean, all of those things. This is, of course, one of the reasons why I get so annoyed when people talk about how simple and black and white Tolkien's world is. Like, the arguments of those who are evil are always true. Like, there's always truth in the things that they say. It's never just mm-hmm. a, like don't you want to come to the dark side and become evil? Like evil is fun. You should do that instead of being good. Oh, okay. I'll become evil then. Like it's just, it is not ever black and white like that. They're always good arguments. Um, and that's, so, yeah. Yeah. So, so one thing I wonder about, um, which is something we, we brought up before, sort of the, the idea of how would the Valar be involved, uh, in this debate? Or will they have a presence or a representative? Um, and then the same thing for the enemy too. And I don't know. I don't know that. That I don't know that we necessarily like. I think we might want to keep that to a minimum or keep it um, subtle. But I do think one way in which that could be useful is some of these arguments about like destiny and stuff. Um, I think might be best made by representatives of of the of Valor. So, in particular, rather than talking abstractly, here's here's a thought I had. Um, so, obviously, the ambassadors coming back will make the argument about, we're meant to go to Valinor. Yes. But why, why, where would anyone get the notion that, no, in fact, we're meant to stay here? I'm kind of wondering, suppose, suppose somebody on the other, one of these stayers is having, you know, like, has some kind of meet, secret meeting with a um, with a vassal of Olmo. Like, where would they get that idea that that they were that no, in fact, going to Valinor is the wrong thing, and that that you know they're actually meant to be in Middle Earth? And I'm kind of wondering. It seems like one of the places, obviously, sort of the two external sources that could be possibilities would be either Morgoth is making that argument through his his um, cat's paws. But I don't like that because that that then carries the implication that these guys are wrong to want to stay in Middle exactly. Earth. So I exactly. So, but I'm wondering if maybe some of the disagreement among the Valar bleeds over into this debate, where Olmo talks <laughs> to some people and says, like, "Hey, no, you're supposed to stay in Middle Earth." With Olmo, that is lovely because Dave, that's a wonderful point from the beginning. You know, how are they going to? I mean, are they just, are we just going to have them like intuiting the idea that they're supposed to stay? How would they learn that? That's a, that's a wonderful question. I love this concept because you, you see what this creates, right? Omo just lost the debate. So he was just, they were having the debate among the Valar. Should we invite the elves to come or not? And Omo was like, no, 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 we totally shouldn't. And they decide against him and he loses that debate. So he's like, okay, plan B. I will go over and convince them to not want to come. <laughs> so, and that it actually kind of strikes me as a very Olmo thing to do, frankly. Um, I, I, or even, even if he, even if he didn't, even if he like, you know, like himself doesn't do that, 
maybe you know he certainly has a bunch of um, he certainly has a bunch of vassals who seem like the type to do that. Right. You know, like As- Asa is like, you know, hey, look, we should go talk to the elves. Like, right. we can communicate with them through the water well, and stuff. And almost like, no, 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 <laughs> no. That would be we decided. Yeah. No, no. I, I okay. First of all, Asa does do that, but not yet, right? Asa is going to do that. He's going to be breaking with because we're, we're going to have Asa with with the uh, the Teleri, right? I mean, Asa oh, yeah. is going to. So he's yeah, yeah. going to be lobbying openly to them to for, to, to, to ditch the Valinor plan. Instead. That's like Plan C. That'll be Plan C. Plan C, exactly, exactly. Um, so I, I, yeah, I mean, both the fact that Olmo is like the Middle Earth covert ops guy among the Valar, clearly, um, all through he is, and the fact that he is also the one to, not to stick to like. Solidarity with the rest of the Valar. He does not show solidarity with the rest of the Valar. In fact, that's explicit in the in ver, in some of the the versions of the Tuor story, where you know he comes to Tuor and he's like, "Okay, the rest of the Valar think this, but I think they're wrong, and I think I can bring them around. But if you do this, then I'll work on them, and we'll you know meet together later on." Like that's you know so yeah, the fact that he is um, he's breaking with them makes a lot of sense. Now, I, Marie has brought, she's been just bringing up here and she brought up uh, on the discussion boards as well, the fact that the Valar would respect the autonomy of the elves and I agree with that. We, we wouldn't want even Olmo uh, to be coming in and trying to, like, rig it or to um, to be doing something in secret or to be showing up at the debate and trying to um, trying to sway the debate in person. Um but Dave, thinking about what you were saying about how did they figure this out, um, what if um, what if that's a seed that could be that should be planted well before the debate? Um, even while the I mean, I wonder if we could even put this backward into episode two. Because um, what I'm thinking, almost methods. Oh, so, so maybe during the intervening hundreds of years exactly, while they're gone. Exactly. Olmo, Olmo is like sending the messages that he sends through the waters to people and it doesn't have to he can show up personally it doesn't even have to be like as dramatic as his uh, showing up to tour of course um, he sends dreams that's what he does right um, so maybe like they you know this this I this knowledge this sense this idea um, has been circulating among them since the ambassadors have been gone that the elves have a job to do in Middle Earth, that this is really the place where they should be. Um, and that, and so it is ultimately almost, but he, so he's not coming in and trying to dominate the debate. But the perspective of the people who are arguing to stay has been informed by messages and dreams that, uh, um, that, that almost sends, um, because uh, sending dreams, it's one of the things. I mean, communicating with people in their sleep is one of the things that Olmo does. We see him do it quite a bit. Um, so, I mean, that's how that's how he does with Finrod and and, and Turgon about Nargothrond and Gondolin. Um, you know, they both have dreams that same night. Um, when they fall exactly, Mary, when they fall asleep next to the water, and remember, they're all living by the lake, so Olmo has access to all of them. Um, 
so yeah, yeah. I think I think I, I love that idea, but it does seem like episode two would be the place for that, right? We'd need to put that into episode two to have some of the people. So maybe we could introduce our female spokesperson Avari character and give her give her a moment, <clears throat> you know, a moment in dream with Olmo by the lake during the time when the ambassadors are gone. So like we have the ambassadors in Valinor, then we cut back and we do like a meanwhile in Quivienen thing, right? Um, and we have her and this sort of the dream insight that she has of uh, of the you know why they should stay. The I, the fact is, Dave. Of course, one of the really cool things is that the audience isn't going to know where it comes from. I don't think we identify it, so we could have people debating like that was a message from the Valar, or like no, that was one of the deceits of Morgoth to seduce them into thinking the Avari are obviously wrong and are being deceived by by Sauron or by Morgoth um, why should we clarify who it was who sent the message right um, I like that I like that a lot but I don't th- but I do agree with Marie that they shouldn't have a voice in the debate the Valar shouldn't have a direct voice in the debate um, there was a question of uh, um, ooh Tom Hillman suggests she could have a dream um, which is basically this is what will happen to Middle-earth if you go. Um, that's interesting, Tom. I like that. That is a really interesting idea. Um, of course, I, I didn't finish the Stayers' arguments that Hakan was suggesting. Um, the other thing is is basically sort of uh, uh, there should be some who say we don't need help, you know, that they're independent. I think this should be Aeol's voice. Ale should should be saying like we're fine, leave us alone. Um, you know we don't need the help of the Valar. Um, we will set up on our own. I think that should be Ale's line. Um, there should be others who are just simply voicing still the voice of fear, who are afraid that it's a trap, um, who are still afraid of Orame. Um, I think that 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 definitely should also should also happen. Um, Tony Mead says the foresight regarding men might be a factor. Tony, I love the idea. Remember the Avari, they're going to play a role in helping men at the very beginning. Um, you know, what if this, you know, if like the second children of Iluvatar would have died, you know, would never even have flourished had not the Avari still been there. So that they do have a role to play, even in Iluvatar's plan for Middle-earth. Um, uh, and also, Tony, I can't help but think about the way in which that could be played off of the role that the the foresight of the coming of men is going to play in the rebellion of Feanor, right? That they're going to come and the men are going to usurp the land, and uh, you know we 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 will not let ourselves be ousted by some other race, and so we can see again here Melkor perverting these visions of the coming of men and the role that the men are supposed to have and that the elves are supposed to have in relationship with the men. So I think that that could work out in some really cool ways. Um, one last thing I want to touch on is um, the enemies. So I don't want, because Aunt Davey were asking about this too, I don't want the uh, enemies to have a direct role uh, to have a to have a, a stooge or a cat's paw present in the debate in disguise, mostly because that's going to happen later on uh, with men, and I don't want to I don't want to just 
repeat exactly the same story. There can be parallels, but not exactly the same story, I think. Um, but uh, a suggestion that um, a suggestion that that uh, somebody made, and I forget who it was, that somebody made on the discussion board, um, was that we ha- th- there should be a spy who is witnessing the great debate and reporting it back to Sauron. Um, and uh, the suggestion was that it be Thurin Gwethil, the vampire bat. Um, and I love that idea. I love introducing Thurin Gwethil and giving her a larger role. Um, she is so one of those characters who sounds like she has a really, she should have a really interesting backstory. Um, and we don't meet her literally until she's dead um, in, in, in the story of Baron and Luthien. Um, I would love to introduce her, and, and the, she's used as a messenger. We know this. This is one of the contexts in which she's introduced in the Baron and Luthien story. So the idea of having her as a spy and a talebearer um, uh, works. I love that. So, yeah, um, let's have Thurin Grethil report back, and, um, and, and we can, and, and I. I, and again, I'm forgetting who suggested this again. Um, uh, but somebody was suggesting that we have a kind of a parallel between, or not exactly a parallel, but even a contrast between the debate and conflict among the elves at Quivienin and then the sort of debate among the bad guys, right? So we see like how the good guys have a debate and how the bad guys have a debate. So we sh- we'll show Gothmog and Myron arguing and fighting with each other. Um, and... Uh, here, I have to admit, I was heavily influenced by um, Philip Menzies. Uh, Philip wrote uh, another musical theme. Those of you who listened to season one will remember um, his, uh, his, the, 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 the musical themes for the different Valar that he was making and stuff last time. Um, he made a new Myron theme, a new season two Myron theme, and it's a very, it's a very melancholy Myron theme. Um, and I really, really like it. And <clears throat> the fact that he made this... So listening to this melancholy Myron theme, I was recalling that we have to be careful not to make Sauron too totally evil right away, right? You know, having the, the sort of seduction of Myron over to Morgoth's allegiance was a major theme of season... a major subplot of season one. And having him just go totally black hat from the moment that he changes his alliance in, you know, in the, in the final episode of season one would be both unrealistic and rather disappointing after all the work we put into setting him up. Um, I think it would be neat to put some conflict in there and, uh, and, and even some, not, exa- not necessarily remorse um, or regret, but uh, scruples. Um, you know, him not really reconciling himself yet to the work that he's doing. And, and my, my quick thought there was... What pushes Myron to cross the line and really, like, not just become a supporter of Morgoth, not just become convinced that Morgoth is that Morgoth's cause is the is the good cause and the cause that he should support, rather than the cause of Manwe and the Valar? Um, that was what happened in season one. But again, that doesn't mean he's embraced evil itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what we what we can, this is how we can use the rivalry with Gothmog. Right, he is. Gothmog has already passed his own turning point. Right, um, he his his uh, you know he is now consumed by rage and hatred, 
um, after his uh, after his moment and his his disfiguring. Um, you know, the sort of the internal disfigurement of Gothmog accompanied his external disfigurement when he participated in the destruction of the lamps with the other Balrogs. But um, Myron is in competition. So, so it's basically the competition with Gothmog, right? He wants to be the ruler in, in Morgoth's place, and Gothmog is pushing him. And he desires to stay on... T- t- he doesn't want... He does not want to let Gothmog... Uh, uh, push him around. So it's basically like his pride and desire to compete with Gothmog um, that really pushes him to to kind of uh, keep going the next steps down that road uh, to doing evil things uh, to sort of show that he's really the leader and that he really is the one, you know, that's wearing the pants around Angband, right? Um, with Gothmog. Gothmog is willing to do anything necessary in order to you know, further the the empire of Morgoth and, you know, the cause of Morgoth. And is Myron, you know, Myron has scruples, right? Myron is not willing to do anything. And Gothmog could basically try to capitalize on that. Um, and so Sauron could basically sort of push himself uh, to go further. Um, and, and they are still both doing this in the name of Morgoth. In other words, they're holding down yes. the fort. Yes, exactly. Fort. And so it could be... Sauron Myron could be, you know, wanting to, like, he's got a different view of maybe Morgoth than than Gothmog does. You know, it's not fully evil. Exactly. exactly. Or something. What if he? What yeah. if he's doing this? What if he is still operating under the, sort of the um, for the greater good type reasoning? Yes. That like, oh, yeah. Gothmog yeah. being in charge would be a total disaster. Like, exactly. this guy's just a exactly. bully and a thug. Exactly, but if he keeps trying to temporize, right? If he keeps trying to, right. you know, like be all namby pamby and not do like anything that is necessary to uh, to to, you know, like Gothmog is willing to, then he's not going to be able to keep Gothmog under control, right? Right. Um, so it's sort of the like basically it's the same kind of same kind of reasoning that almost always leads to falls. Uh, it's the exactly. Saruman reasoning of it's the Saruman. Look, reasoning. I, I am right. you know, the only way I'm gonna the only way I'm gonna get control, which Let's all agree is the is the best course of action here. We can't let Gothmog be in charge. The only way I'm going to get in charge is I have to be more brutal than he is. But I'm. But that's not really what I'm about. I'm just doing it because I have to. to for the greater good. It. Ultimately, right. for the yeah. greater. Because then yes. I'll be able to, like you know, exactly as uh, as Saruman says to Gandalf, right? In time, I, we can come to control it, right? Uh, to guide it and to so you know make it less evil over time. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So this, and what I'm thinking is, this has massive implications for the uh, the secret necromantic orc project, or uh, or snack op, as they call it on the discussion board. Um, anyway, uh, that the, the, because he doesn't he, he so he should not be starting off by um, by kidnapping and torturing elves, right? To try to make orcs out of them. Um, Instead, and Venarin was just suggesting exactly along the lines I was thinking of, um, he could be trying to bring the elves under Morgoth's rule in secret, so the Valar don't know. Um, so yes, he captures the elves, but he just wants to talk. You know, he just wants to convince them that Morgoth is the one that they should be. Fo- their real destiny, of course, their question of like, what is the true home and destiny of the elves? Well, obviously, the true destiny of the elves is to be serving Melkor the Great, right? to be acknowledging uh, the true head, you know, the true lord of Middle-earth. Um, 
and that can get increasingly coercive over time, and that can be the point of contention with Gothmog, where Gothmog either just wants to kill them or he wants to or he wants to 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 just enslave them, and he Myron is trying to retain control over the uh, the whole imprisoned elves. Issue. I like the idea of Myron's like kidnapping these elves and he's telling them, "Look, Morgoth's the real the this is you know." Morgoth, you should be serving Morgoth because he's the ultimate good, and you will sit in this cell until you realize that. <laughs> right, right, exactly. This it's is for your own good. Because see, he's still, he's still at the. He was impressed by, as we described his character last time. He is impressed by Morgoth's skill and but he's impressed by his strength. You know, he's the the Valar look weak, and Morgoth is strong. Um, so his his admiration for strength. So he he basically is going to be trying to impress the elves with strength, right? Um, and that's going to be part of the th- you know he's going to want to bring them around in the same way that he felt that he was brought around, right? Um, anyway, it, you know there's there's we don't have time to work out all the details, and this is something that I think needs to be coming along as we go. Um, I, I, I want to be returning to Myron, but I just wanted to throw that out there, the, the, the whole question of Myron and Myron's rationale and sort of where he is in his own moral journey in this season, I think is, is a really important thing. Um, okay. Yeah. And something, something, something to remember here. Um, but, um, okay. All right. So that's pretty much good. <laughs> I think we pretty much did everything. Yeah, except now you got to set up next week's questions. Which okay, is next take week's another, questions. Who knows how long? Oh, okay, so I, my first question is a big question. So you may remember from our outline, um, from our overall outline, next episode was going to be the one where Lenway and the Nandor split off, and Thingol meets Melian, and the Sindar stay to look for him, and the Noldor and Vanyar get to Valinor. Question number one that I have for next week. Can we do all this in one episode? Can that actually <laughs> happen? Uh, and if so, how? So that's my first question. My second question. Why did the Nandor leave? How are we going to handle that? We talked about this a little bit earlier on. Is there going to be acrimony there? Are we going to depict the Nandor as like Avari who finally come to their senses? Right, who are briefly convinced that they should go to Valinor and are just like, mm, actually, no, we agree with the uh, with the Avari, we're staying. Or do they have a different reason for staying? Um, is there some kind of rift among them? You know, is this a personal thing? Are they like, we're not traveling with you anymore, you jerks? We're staying here. Uh, you know, how do we want to play that? I think there are lots of different ways we could we could we could do that. Um, so that's my second question: How do we do the Nandor? Le- you know, why did the Nandor leave? Third question. How do the Teleri respond to Elway's disappearance? I mean, we know that some of them stay to look for him. That's not what I mean. I mean, what kind of impact does it have on the rest of the Teleri? We don't get anything of this, right? Um, I, I mean, all we know is the basic facts. He disappears. Some of them stay to look for him. Others go on. That's all we know. What were they thinking when they went on? What did they think happened to him? What do they think they're looking for? Are they, I mean, do they think he was taken by the Dark Hunter? Why wouldn't they think he was taken by the Dark Hunter? If they do think he's taken by the Dark Hunter, are they, are they thinking of a rescue mission? Is this like a, are, so are the Sindar who are staying, are they staying because they're like, 
we're sick and tired of elves being, you know, vanishing and being taken off and, and we want to find them and doggone it. We're not taking that anymore. And we're going to, now they've taken our King and, 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 and we're, we're not going to, we're not going to be pushovers anymore. And we're going to stay and we're going to hunt down the dark hunter and find the people who have been, is that, is that, is that, is that what's happening there? Or is it something else? Um, mm-hmm. How do Olway and Kyrdin and the, and those bunch, the bunch who leave, how does it affect them? I mean, they decide to go on anyway, but that's not the point. How are they affected? Um, the second question yeah. then is... So that's the third question. So first question, can we do all this in one episode? Second question, why did the Nandor leave? Third question, how did the Teleri respond to Elway's disappearance? Fourth question, how do we depict Thingol and Melian? Okay, like what do we actually <laughs> make happen? Um, uh, we've joked think, about this. You don't think him standing like a statue for several years <laughs> See, is going to go exactly. over the screen? Thingol and Melian is a classic example of something that you can say in words, but you you can't depict it just like that. I mean, if we actually have him like freezing like a statue and her standing there drumming her fingers on his inanimate body, uh, you know, waiting for him to wake up, like what do we actually? Uh, what do we actually? Oh, depict? I figured she would dance away. She'd come back. She'd plant a garden around him. Right. She'd take the birds. Out from behind his ear, you right. know, draw spectacles <laughs> on his face, something. Yeah, I yeah. don't know, but draw mustache on him. Uh, yeah, you know. yeah. So, <laughs> what do we do? How do we? It's, it's it, this is something. I mean, it's 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 easy to make jokes about, but how do we do it I seriously? Know. So that how do you really okay. do it? I so know. that's question number four. Question number five: What will we emphasize about the arrival at Valinor um, when the Nandor, when the sorry, not the Nandor, when the Vanyar and the Noldor arrive? Um, what is our, what is our, I mean, how much of that do we cover at all? Do we not cover it? Do we close with it? I mean, how do we handle that? But I mean, what do we, what do we emphasize? Do you understand what I mean when I say, what do we emphasize? Like what, what is that? um, Is this like them kind of coming home? How do we have them react? What, what do we want to be the focal point of the ultimate arrival of the, 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 the Noldor and the, and the Vanyar? Um, Okay. Those are my questions. But of course, I'm going to want to start with that first one. And we will begin next time by reviewing some of the things we've talked about. I'll be interested to see the feedback of those of you who have been participating with us here today, as well as those who will be listening to the recording uh, before next time, to see what they what their input is on the uh, the Arwen's mentor, the Avari question, and, uh, and some of these other things. So, all right. Any other final well, thoughts or fun. questions from you guys? This was fun. We it should was. do this again sometime. We should. On an in off fact, day. let's do this again in a little less than two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Let me say about this. We'll be back to Friday at our normal time, Friday at 10 a.m. Uh, on, what is it, Friday the 27th, 26th? 26th. 26th. Yes, yeah. Friday the 26th which shall be our next, uh, our next episode. Um, I'm, I'm happy with uh, I'm happy with what we came up with for this. There was a real danger this could turn into the uh, you know like the Star Wars Episode One Senate scene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely not. Major screen time devoted to you know points of order and uh, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Huh. 
Okay. Very good. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for your participation, those of you who are with us today. Thanks for all the work you guys have been doing on the discussion boards and with the outlines and, and, uh, and all these other things. We appreciate that, and we rely heavily on your thought and input. We're really glad to see what you guys have to say about these things as we prepare for next week, or next session in a little under a fortnight. So thanks for joining us, everybody, and as always, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.